Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an objector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. And today we're going to do things a little bit different. Uh, as many of you know, we are here in Dallas, Texas, and we had a recent tragedy, a very awful, terrible thing that happened. We had a, a patient who was unfortunately um, passed away in the middle of a procedure having an IV in fr- the Frisco area of Texas. And a lot of it had to do with being a medical professional, um, not being a medical professional, medical director was absent, good faith exam didn't exist, and just a lot of things that went really wrong. And so we're big sticklers here to set a record about the good faith exam and about doing things correctly with documentation, medical directors, legal compliance, the whole thing. So much so that we did a whole panel on this at Aesthetic Next talking about the good faith exam and why it's so important to have a medical professional, an NPPA, MBDO, to look at a patient ahead of time, clear them for treatment, and then let them go on to obviously being treated by you know an RN or whomever in the practice. And it was a huge topic for me. It has been. We just brought in Qualify in our system because it's very close to my heart. And I think, I think it's just so important for our industry. And so we want to take this time in light of what recently happened to really, again, shine light on good faith exams and talk about why it's so important and why you have to get this buttoned up in your practice, the whole legal parts around it, and just really the reality of the situation. So we're going to kick this over to our live panel that happened on Sunday at Aesthetic Next. We had our panelist, Noah Bobot from Qualify, who obviously is one of our partners here at Aesthetic Record. We had Justin Marti, who is an attorney. He owns Marti Law Group. And Jenny Hartley, who is a nurse practitioner who has done extensive work on the legal parts of the business and good faith exams and all the paperwork components of it and really getting her practice buttoned up. And we talk a lot about the good faith exam, when you should do it, why it's important, how to look at your questions, how to protect yourself legally as a provider as you perform a good faith exam or you actually receive a patient who's been approved for, you know, from an exam. So we're going to take it to aesthetic next and follow us along, obviously, as this continues to unfold here in Texas. But all three of these panelists know a lot about good faith exams. Look them up on Instagram. And if you have any questions about any of it at all, please let us know as well. We're happy to connect you with our attorneys and people that we know and work with to get your good faith exams buttoned up. So we'll see you at Aesthetic Next. We're going to talk today about good faith exams, which is a hot button all across the country um, from many states. As we look at full practice authority states coming into play, different states, different laws, all the things. We're going to kind of dive into this. Me from a software perspective, Justin from an illegal perspective. Noah obviously works to qualify. I shouldn't say obviously, but it's on your shirt, so I said obviously. It has a system and a company that actually does GFEs for you. And then Jennifer is a practitioner in the clinic needing and doing GFEs all day. So we'll have a few different perspectives here about the whole process. Well, I want to start with you, Jennifer, because I'm just curious, you know, as a person in the clinic, and I've heard there's been some controversy this week about this topic, so I'm interested to hear your perspective <laughs> of why you think we need GFEs. So good faith exams, it's that history and physical. We meet our patients, we evaluate their medical record, we know their history, we know their allergies, and we can determine what their candidates for. So this is the safety mechanism in place to ensure that people are getting the, the patients are getting the treatments that they are safe for and that it's appropriate. Um, and so I'm very passionate about this. I think it's important that we create a high standard in aesthetic medicine and to figure out the good faith exam. There's lots of things going on across the country and then that every state is different with their laws. And I think a good faith exam is, it's that comprehensive medical history, that physical examination um, that really sets the tone for your practice. It's important. 
I have a question of what you just said there about it helps us determine what they're a candidate for. I have a different opinion. I think it just clears them if they can medically have something done. So give me your ideas on the GFE being a dictator of what they should have done. Because think about who does these, right? Like it's, sometimes it's, it's, it's outsourced to somebody else or somebody in the clinic who's not going to do any diagnosis. So what are your thoughts on that, the person doing it, making a medical diagnosis or not? Yeah, well, I think the whoever is performing that good faith exam, that's going to be a nurse practitioner, a PA, or a physician in the practice. And essentially, in aesthetic medicine, it's probably more important that we're identifying what they're not a candidate for. So, for example, low-hanging fruit. These are people with autoimmune conditions that perhaps you want to know more. When... Were they diagnosed? What's their treatment? Are they stable? Are they unstable? Does that change what you're going to do to them and when? Perhaps vaccinations. Um, do you want some time on either side of that? Um, dental procedures. And so it's really finding those things of what do we need to flag to have a little bit more thought around. Um, I know lots of clinics, another kind of important thing that we're crossing in aesthetic medicine is also body dysmorphia. Do we need to be screening for that? I think we do. Um, how is that done, clearing up that diagnosis and trying to, to find those patients? They're hard. They're master manipulators, and they can be tricky, you know, to see those red flags. Sometimes it happens over time. And so that's the good faith exam alone is not enough. We're also going to have to teach our staff, hey, these are things that flag questions that we need to circle back. Um, and whether we're doing that internally in-house or we're using a third party, we've got to first figure out how are you going to set that standard? How are you going to do your physical exams? And then what are you going to have in place as those thresholds for, hey, let's revisit this? I didn't even tell her I wanted her to go, and she went there anyway. I'll, she's in my mind. I like that. I think now it's you, buddy. Oh, boy. The hard stuff. Give us the legal aspect of this, because based on what you just said, Jennifer, this is like super important. How do we keep ourselves out of hot water and do it right? Well, I'll go through state by state. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's no, no surprise here, right? Any lawyer will start their response with, it depends. And it truly does. Uh, I'm sorry, but it really does. So, yeah, I mean, Je you know, Jennifer started to talk about why we do a GFE, right? What are we looking for, the parameters? You're also protecting yourself, of course, right? You want to see, do right by the patient. You need to do right by your practice and protect yourself and everything you've built. Um, so there are kind of certain boxes that you're checking as you go down that list. There's different ways that the GFE can be done. We've kind of, you know, we've had some debates this week, and then we all kind of had a coming of the, of the minds. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, a GFE can be administered in different ways and different requirements according to your state. But it's imperative that it is done and that it is repeated, as you all probably know. I'm not a provider, but, you know, it is repeated when, when medical conditions change, uh, probably at least annually, right? Again, depending on your state, there might be more or less frequency. Um, but, again, it's, it's so, so imper imperative to establish, and you know, the provider-patient relationship. Those are kind of the key terms there. And that's big. Like, you know, when liability stuff comes up... Um, Liability generally take a step back, right? How do, how do things come up? The med spot police don't generally come kicking in your door. Um, a patient complains, right? A disgruntled employee, uh, a competitor. Once that complaint comes in is when the medical board or whomever generally, you know, begins their investigation. What does that look like? It starts with what are your protest, you know, what's your protocols and your processes? And at the very beginning of that is what's the good faith exam look like, you know, or the initial consultation. So, 
it is so, so critical to protecting yourself um, and making sure, you know, documentation and all of that. And there's different services now to help with that. But just from a legal standpoint, I can't emphasize enough the importance of really kind of nailing this part of the, of the visit. Yeah, we get subpoenaed often at aesthetic record for medical records for clinics who are under investigation. And I can promise you without a doubt, they always, always ask for it. And if it's not there, they start scrambling to find it. Yep. So when the medical board or the nursing board comes, they will want to have right. your GFE. You can rest assured. Not to scare anyone, but it does happen. Well, Noah, you've established or work with a great service to do this, which we've just brought onto aesthetic record. So the technology aspect now in virtual has made it much, much easier. So how has that process evolved? How do you make sure that what Jennifer just said, you know, we have standards, we have needs. How does that translate into a third-party service delivering this? And can a, cl and a clinician feel secure legally that they're going to get the same caliber of service as if they did it in their practice? Right. So is, is my mic on? I don't know. So can everybody hear? Um, I, just, I feel like I'm right at home right now. Uh, because in Qualifies Boardroom, it's exactly this. It's uh, our clinical director with our collaborating physician and our medical director uh, as well as our general counsel and state counsel going head to head mm -hmm. and kind of determining what the most medically appropriate uh, tr uh, you know, questions to ask for the specific treatment and question uh, that we're facing for that specific state. So, you know, there's many, many, many different layers. And so technology speaking is what we do is once we've identified the, the broadest scope of uh, possible questioning to determine a patient's eligibility for a certain procedure. We map that against the state's laws and regulations and tag that to that GFE for that state if it's ever ordered from a clinic within that state. And without getting into too much of the tech details, um, basically the way that it works is our nurse practitioner or PA or uh, one of our uh, physicians uh, is trained in well-versed specifically within that uh, GFE and we'll receive patients for that GFE. So it's all kind of like funneled directly to that state's legal requirements within that medical board's requirements as well. So it's a very big, qualify is a very big hybrid and balance between medical and patient first, and then making sure that we're also compliant because compliance is extremely important when it comes down to providing GFEs and the way that they're documented can vary. Uh, even the, the way that the collaborating docs are written, they need to include certain provisions, certain and different types of chart review per state, which need to be met so that with compliance comes in, you're buttoned up and, you know, here, come take a look at everything that we have and look at every, look at all of the, the clinics and, and the med spas that we work with. They're all buttoned up as it relates to qualify. And that's kind of how the technology that we're building is just, is built in a way that it just follows the law and follows the, med the appropriate medical procedures. So Jennifer, in your clinic, do you have more practitioners who are not um, a nurse practitioner or PA? Yeah, right now I actually just hired two nurse practitioners um, to join. So my clinic is expanding. It's ju just been me for many, many years. Um, so my first two employees will be nurse practitioners, and then we're looking to bring another nurse on. 
Um, and so as I think about this conversation, I'm listening to what both Justin and Noah are saying. In Washington State, some of the other things that I've learned that play into this is to ensure this compliance that you talk about, Noah, it's such a big deal. Um, because having that good faith exam is not really enough. You need to make sure that it ties in with how your medical director is operating. You need to have all of your policies and procedures written. Um, and in our state, they really want us to define who's a candidate in, within those policies and procedures. Um, and then the board also requires us to have a, a policy in place for quality assurance. So if things are kind of hitting or you're happening, you're having misadventures or AEs, there's very specific ways. So the GFE is just one part of this huge wild animal that you kind of have to tackle down in your clinic, which is loads of policies and procedures, how your medical director is going to operate, and then really identifying very clear job descriptions. Um, in our state, the, the board has that really buttoned up really tightly. It also names out if you're doing things that are not FDA cleared or are off-label, sometimes you the medical director has to be in-house. Um, and so those things are, are really ironed out in our state. And of course, this will vary depending on where you're from, um, but it's not just the GFE. Yeah. Well, I live in Texas, as many of you know, and in our state, you can inject if you're the garbage man. Um, as long as the medical director says that you can, he or she makes a determination, not the medical board or nursing board. So in Texas, it's very, very important that you have a GFE. And unfortunately, we don't do them hardly ever here. It's awful. So my question for all of you, you know, thinking through, especially just from a legal perspective, is if I have a clinic with eight RNs and one MP, how does that work? Because I often here, I would love to do it, but no one can. There's no time for it, which is where we start working with yeah. Qualify. And they often use the workflow is too hard, therefore I won't do it. I'm like, well, losing your license is also really right. hard, but you know, different conversation. So how do you see this? You know, when you when you work with a clinic, you know, Jennifer's great; she has all all MPs. You're you're in the clear. But how do you explain to them or work with them to say you have to get this done? And what what do you put in place to make sure that every RN has an MP walking in saying, yep, cleared, not cleared? Yeah, it's. This is fascinating to me because Jennifer and I actually ended up having breakfast this morning and we were talking about like there is this, there's the provider side, right? The provider view who wants to do right by their patient. There's the business side as well, right? And it's like, how do we bring all of this together in, in a compliant way so that you don't lose your license, you get shut down when that complaint comes in? Um, I get it. I've run, I used to have a kind of a dental the DSO, if people are familiar with that. A giant, well, it's a giant DSO is what he's used to. Few, few dental practices. <laughs> um, so we, you know, I get it. Like, it's a balancing act. We're all short on time all the time. And so I understand that folks want to delegate everything they possibly can. First of all, make sure it's something that can be delegated, right? And not just, um, what, what we're seeing more and more of is at, at best, the provider, the NP or whomever the physician pops their head in, right? And, or it's a, very, very quick um, visit. And that's fine until it's not. And that's always what I tell our clients is like, that's, if that's what you're doing, then we may not be able to work with you because um, I don't want the liability, but it's, it's going to work for you until you have a situation and that complaint comes in. I, everyone's bandwidth is super, super thin, but we've got to come up with the systems and it might mean seeing less patients, right? And people get scheduled further out and I, no, no one wants that. But at the end of the day, like you still have, I mean, it's a medical practice, right? The, and that's how these states have defined it. We are in a medical profession um, and that just raises the stakes. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a fine balancing act between the business side and, and kind of doing right by the patient and you know, hopefully protecting everybody. 
Yeah, I, I work with a practice or used to who would say, I have a you know, patient in the room, I'm the NP, and I have to leave and go next door to do the RNs, GFE, and then I have to come back. And the patient's like, you know, needle in the face, right, you know, yeah. pilot holes being made, and I have to walk out, come back in. And it's disruptive. I mean, it, it was just, I'm like, hire the person. Or we didn't have services like yours back yeah. then. There wasn't an option, and so it became problematic. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people <clears throat> that tell us uh, these stories that, they, they, there's a lot of clinics that we work with that are actually across the street from one another. And so the NP would have to run from one to the other into the, you know, across the street to go and take care of the patient or get out of the, the patient's room, take a phone call. And sometimes, uh, most of our, um, a good amount of our clients actually, um, they'll have an NP on, on staff, but there's a lot of scheduling. There's a lot of people are human. You know, people can, need to take care of their kids, leave early, whatever the case may be. When they're not available, all of a sudden the practice can't clear their patients anymore. So they'll just, you know, use qualify as like a backup or as their primary. You know, it doesn't, it's interchangeable. And, um, and yeah, I mean, seeing these uh, NPs kind of try and juggle because it's an expensive salary. You know, it's, it's not an easy salary for a med spa to, to be able to uh, handle especially if you're having multiple of them, just to be able to cover every possible time that you're open. So we see that with Qualify, there's a lot more um, like ease and, and, and sensitivity to cost with making sure that the patients get the treatment like you know, and, the, and the clearance that they need right away. Well, and legally, and also because you obviously are aware of your state laws, does telehealth count as an in-person visit? Because that's always a question that comes up is like, can we, can we count this virtual visit as in-person, because we used to just call on the phone. I remember being in clinics, they would call each other on the phone and say, you know, let's clear the patient. How does that work, legally speaking? And, and do you feel confident as a practitioner with doing a virtual uh, appointment or encounter? So I think um, the minimum that we've seen set is that the GFE in every state that we've seen, um, you know, can be done virtually. Uh, there are a number of states, a handful of states we've talked about that have certain parameters in place. So don't take that, you know, as gospel, please. But they're the provider, the physician, or the NP has to be within state, you know, state lines. There's, um, you know, a handful of states that have different requirements in that capacity or how the telehealth visits, you know, conducted. Um, but we've seen it, you know, that is the minimum. And I think that's kind of the key here, right? Is like, does that work? Uh, it seems to be passing muster. There's folks that kind of want to be more protective. And Jennifer, I mean, we've had endless conversations about this. Is like, you know, there's kind of the standard and then maybe where you want to have your standard. And maybe it's a little bit different. And I actually, I think Noah makes a great point in that if you're in the kind of that emergency situation, maybe your philosophy is I want to meet with the patient or I want the NP to meet with the patient. Um, but sometimes there's not the bandwidth. And that's where, you know, a service like this might come in great. Um, or it might just be the go-to for everybody. But yeah, I think we've seen kind of the minimum field set, um, you know, and, and now it's kind of how do you want to raise the standard from there. And then what do you do with it? That's a question for you, Jennifer, because these come up all the time. I see them in AR. I see all the records come through. And it's like, okay, not approved. Okay, now what do we do? Or approved, now what do we do? Like, is it a piece of paper that has no value beyond just being a yes or a no? Because you mentioned all these other processes that come around it. What if the patient does get treated? <clears throat> we go back and look and realize that we didn't improve them six months ago. Now we did. What changed? What, what sort of is the halo effect of the GFE? 
Yeah, that's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that any of us have the answer. I think that's why we're here um, to talk it out. It's it's really complicated because things within patient histories change so frequently. So you can see them in January have determined that you think they're safe for X, Y, and Z. And then something happens in July and you may or may not have a system in place that flags that. So that's what's, that's what's tricky. Um, and I think that's why we're all here trying to figure that out. And I think the the concern in aesthetic medicine as a specialty across the nation is how can we raise that standard and so that we're not, we're all holding each other accountable. So what I'm doing in Washington, what Andy is doing in Missouri, that we're all doing the best we can. And it's, it's really challenging with the different state laws too. Um, I think using something potentially like qualify, you know, when I think about it from a business perspective, um, makes a lot of sense. That's, I internally struggle with that. You know, I'm a nurse practitioner who owns my own practice. I'm the medical director. And so, you know, patients first, right? That's my oath. Um, and so that's why I'm a pretty conservative practitioner. I, I really want to try to keep as much in house as possible. That's why I chose to hire nurse practitioners um, as I'm building the first bits of my business in this expansion. But there is going to be a time where we have nurses and estheticians in our practice, and we're going to be busy. And exactly what you were saying before, you know, are we going to, how are we going to, am I going to have a whole day where all I do is good faith exams? Not looking forward to that. Will I want to work with Qualify? Um, and Noah and I were chatting about this, um, you know, because I'm admittedly a little bit skeptical of the services, but it makes me feel a little bit better that you can really customize it um, so that I could work with that company and really say, hey, these are the things that I care about. We need to ask those questions. Um, but I think all of us have to do due diligence and make sure we're, we're meeting our own rules and regulations. What about when the patient lies? I mean, even today with the models that we've had for this conference, we've had six or seven who what they told us wasn't really true at all. Like, they've lied, yeah. you know, in this little brief window of three days. Like, completely. I haven't had talks never. They had it like six weeks ago, you know. Yeah. How do we protect ourselves from that, Justin? Because that's real. That's and is, it, is the onus on Jennifer to, to decipher that in the GFE? Or is it on the patient to tell the truth? Because I feel like even if they lie, it's still somehow our fault Absolutely. that they've lied. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, I hate to be like the doomsday person up here, but it's, it's so true is that the liability falls on the provider, right? Um, now, there may not be validity to a case that somebody gets, you know, hit with a malpractice who comes up and, you know, it's all the devil's in the details, the facts of what actually happened, what transpired, if the person lied. Okay, but again, the state's looking at it like, well, you're a medical provider, so somehow you have to sleuth your way into this and figure it out. Um, it's a very high standard, which is why I'm like, load yourselves up with malpractice, you know, um, <laughs> every policy. Uh, we run that risk also, you know, if a, if a client lied to you and you represented them, it's, it's something we deal with, it's very real. You own medicine, so I think that's a much higher standard. Um, but yeah, the liability will, will trickle its way down. I mean, when these investigations happen, if you're a medical director, we actually talked about this in our medical director panel the other day, is that um, the question came up as far as, well, my RN does something wrong. My delegate, you know, my delegate, my delegate, you know, did something wrong, but I'm protected, right? Well, no, I mean, you're the medical director. It's your job to oversee that, to look at these charts. So again, it's a very high standard and, and you have to be prepared for that if you're, you know, taking on a role of, of a lead provider in a practice. Um, so sadly, uh, we have to be that much better than the patients who may not be totally forthcoming. 
But I think patients do lie all the time. <laughs> and we know that. And there's trends with what they lie about. They lie about their vaccines. They lie about if they took NSAIDs. They lie. I haven't drank. You see them. You know. You saw the social media. And the blood is like flowing. Right? And <laughs> one poke and they're bleeding. You know. So my point is, is we can do all the right things, but patients are still going to lie. And so making sure our other parts of our business are buttoned up, like your patient education. Are you sending things beforehand, reminding them, hey, this is how you prepare. If these things pop up, you need to let us know. We need to reschedule you as well on the back end. So are they going to lie to us? Will these things slip through? Yes. But, you know, and Justin, you could kind of weigh in. I feel like if we're, if we have processes in place where we're doing due diligence, that's huge too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, again, I hate giving the doomsday view, but if you've checked all the boxes that you should have done, the medical board does realize that, you know, they will look at, are they going to slap you with a little fine or something? Perhaps, because they tend to like to do that. Um, I had my group, and we certainly would get dinged with something here or there. But I was like, at the end of the day, if we checked all the major boxes, you know, our OSHA, our compliance, our processes, our intake, it's documented, it's tight. Like, you know, like Noah said, I mean, have a look. And um, those are the things that kind of can get you in, the, in a lot of hot water. So if you're prepared, and I mean... Kenny has an arsenal of documents that, I mean, she, you know, she's like... You need like, one. If anyone needs advice on what you need, I'm happy to help you. Yeah, she has a, <laughs> a patented, like, package she can sell She's you. freelancing as an attorney at night. She is. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so so I think that's the key, is, like, preparation, um, you know, and really be thorough with, with the processes. That's your best protection. Yeah, and I think when, if you're starting a practice... You need to budget for this. It's going to cost you ten or fifteen thousand dollars to get all those policies and procedures in place. The legal fees, writing your employee handbook, your job descriptions, your legal contracts for your employees, um, all of the things that need to be reviewed that work together. When all is said and done, that is going to cost you a pretty penny, but it's going to also save your butt. So I think we just need you need to budget for that. That would be my advice. Speaking of budget, I have a money question. So Noah, you obviously have to charge for your service. Yeah. It's not it's not a 501c3. Do you see practices tagging that fee on to like a consultation or to the treatment fee? Because again, it's $27.99, I think is what yeah. it always is. Um, it, it does have a cost. And so if I'm doing a free consultation, is it really free or do I have to somehow bake that $27.99 into my filler cost or my toxin cost? What do you hear most often? So it basically is a 501c3. I mean, it's so cheap. Um, but uh, basically, um, yeah, no, uh, they don't tag it on to the customer. I think they just build it into their cost. It's a pretty low cost considering the price that these med spas are typically charging for these procedures. Um, it's uh, I, I do want to touch on one important point that you asked about earlier, which was uh, patients lying and, and, and what the halo effect can be because I've... Uh, seen a good amount of that and heard of a lot of that happening. Um, we talk a lot about raising the bar in, in aesthetic medicine and protecting patients. Um, I can speak a little bit about what we do internally when this happens, uh, just by giving you know, two quick example stories that have happened within the last week. Um, patient uh, wanted to get an IV, uh, an IV nutrient therapy drip regular, um, asked a lot of questions, and obviously our providers are trained to make the patient feel comfortable and not point the questions directly towards, like, we know this is going to deny you. You know, we don't want the patients to necessarily, we just want it to be a free-flowing conversation. And the patient said that they had congestive heart failure in the past that's been treated and is now okay. 
And so the provider was, you know, for those of you that don't know, you cannot give a liter of fluid to anybody with congestive heart failure. It can drown them. Um, so, and I'm not a doctor. I'm just, you know, this is what I've heard. Um, and so basically they said that they were okay. And so our provider said, let's, uh, let's, let, let, let me speak with the clinical director. So she called the, the clinical director. The clinical director said, did you ask the patient if they're cleared by their cardiologist because it's been taken care of? Patient said, yes. So our clinical director said, okay, no problem. Get me on the phone with your cardiologist. Oh, he's busy. Um, are you sure, you know, that, yes, tried one, then in the GFE, it said it's, it's approved on condition that you get written clearance from your cardiologist, however that might be. Med spa says, they're not available, not available. They ended up calling the cardiologist, and he was like, absolutely not. The patient is uh, dehydrated, does probably, like, need one, but due to his heart condition, no way. The same thing has happened with, um, with um, cancer and fillers, a uh, patient said that, you know, they've had a history of cancer, but now they're cleared for certain uh, fillers in the treatment area. Uh, we asked for cl- uh, clearance from the oncologist. Not, no, no clearance was given. So it's like, there's, there's like a huge, like a network of effect of when the question is iffy, you know, wh- what do you do if it's not a black or white, yes or no, and the patient has reasons as to why they can get something. Um, it's, it's very important to probe all the way. Well, I have an amateur question to this. This is me being an amateur, not a physician or a, or PA or MP. Is I hear this a lot when I talk to med spas um, on the phone. They'll say, "Oh, but the patient signed something that said that they that they're going to waive that. You know, that they don't care. That they know the risk, like cancer for sure. Like, oh, they're going through chemo, but they they went ahead and signed that they know it's a risk and they're going to do it anyway." And I'm like, that does not relieve you of liability. But they have somehow in their mind believed that it does. So, like, what are the parameters around that? If Justin, if the clinic says. Or, or Noah's team or, you know, the, the NP says, we're not going to do it. And the practice decides on their own, we're going to treat anyway. What do you have to have to dictate that you can actually treat somebody? Like, how do you overturn the GFE, basically? And, and from a legal standpoint, I mean, you can probably guess my answer, right, is don't, don't, don't do it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but you see it happening all the time. Yeah. They'll, they'll get, they'll get your, your thing in saying no, and then they'll go do it anyway. And I'm like, ah. Panic. You know, it's 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 a it's a ticking time bomb. Personally, in my opinion, is is how you run your practice and the risks you're willing to take. You can be. I mean, we know this industry. You can be incredibly lucrative, highly profitable, but at what at what risk? And I know you know that's big with Jennifer. Is is um, <laughs> you know if the GFE doesn't check out, if anything doesn't check out, like you can't treat that patient right in that particular, or unless you get the clearance. I love that. You know, get the clearance. Okay. Your doctor said, okay, like, cool, let's get the doctor's note, you know, just like my son at school, right? Let's get the doctor's note. And, um, and then we're okay. But, um, unfortunately, like, we want to make everybody happy, but we just can't. And it's our job as the lawyers to, you know, to unfortunately tell you, like, don't do this if, if it doesn't feel right. Do you guys have any questions? Things happening in your own practice? We've got many more up here, but I'm just curious to hear from any of you. At this point, an audience member asks Noah from Qualify whether or not Qualify acts as a medical director or collaborative physician or if they're just performing the good faith exams. So, Good question. We're, we are not the medical director of the med spa. We're collaborating with your medical director, and we have a business associate agreement that's signed that allows RNPs to clear your patients. Uh, and your medical director, uh, as uh, Tiffany asks, is can they overturn the only person that could overturn would be your medical director for that specific patient 
if they deem it appropriate because our denial may have required further analysis or maybe they answered yes when they should have said no or whatever the case may be. Um, that's the only time that a medical director, that, that a GFE can be overturned by the, uh, by your medical director. An audience member asks about operating hours for Qualify and whether or not a practitioner is sitting by waiting for her to bring patients into the room and then calling to arrange a GFE and how long it might take to get that done. Um, so it's, it's, it's faster than that, but basically um, from the iPad, um, from your iPad in your office or your cell phone, you just uh, put the patient's information in or you just go into the aesthetic record portal and you click on your patient's name and there's a button for you to select the procedure and you can click a button and right away our nurse practitioner will pop up on the screen within a couple seconds and go through the GFE with your patient and then clear or deny. And then the results are transmitted directly into that patient's section within your patient's portal of AR um, in like a PDF format within the patient's chart. I yeah, or if you're in Qualify, you guys have it in your system too. So yeah, we have it we in have our an integration. System. So yeah, yeah. Either, it's, it's super fast. I've done it. I mean, it's like you hit the button and whoop, there, there somebody is. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a lot of the times the, the people are like, oh, I didn't expect somebody to pop up right away. They're like in the car driving, looking at you. Oh gosh, there are real humans on the other side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yes, our, our providers are just readily available. Uh, we're in 40 states now. An audience member asked Noah if the consult is a virtual consult where the practitioner can actually see the patient. He's interested in finding out if they can determine the Fitzpatrick score. Exactly. This is very apropos for the speaker before this was giving a very lengthy talk on Fitzpatrick. And that is actually, it was, it was a, it, the, the Fitzpatrick over the video was a very, very long conversation between our legal and medical directors. The result is, the result is we can. <laughs> and we've determined it with like charts within the GFE. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's, that's, a, that's a big one. Yeah. Tiffany, I've got a question. I wonder yeah. if you can ask the audience too. Um, how many of you are nurse practitioners or PAs or physicians in the room? I'm curious. One of the questions I've asked myself, if thinking about can I partner with Qualify, is are, do I think that delegating this GFE is appropriate and legal and best practice? So for example, my background is critical care. Lots of people can admit patients in critical care. We have tons of colleagues, we work with teams. So somebody does the H&P. And then I come on, I may assume care for that patient and I would see them, maybe I'm in charge of the progress note and I'm intubating them or doing these procedures. So I don't write the H&P, I didn't, I didn't admit the patient on day of admission, but then I review everything, I'm writing my own note and I'm doing my procedures, but I have to do my own assessment. And that assessment needs to be documented that day and I have to go through that checklist before I would do procedures. Do we think that we should have the same standards in aesthetic medicine? And how does this relate? You know, if we're going to be delegating, how do we figure that out? Does that concern any other providers in the room? Do you think it needs to, to be you or someone in your office? Yeah, that's what's so hard, right? Like, we all kind of want to do it ourselves. Um, and so it's the, that's like the gray yes. side, the 38, 37 million shades of gray here, is how do you compete with patient care and business and workflow? I have a thought... So software, obviously I run a, a scale organization. And we, when you scale a company, you have to have specialists. You cannot do all the jobs. It's impossible. First of all, no one's good at everything. It's improbable that you can be. And so I look at this from like a, a SaaS perspective, a SaaS lens. 
is that if you're the person who's also the expert provider, why are you the expert test giver? You know, in a sense, like that's a specialized skill also to be able to assess a patient in the beginning and intake. That is a skill in and of itself to be able to decipher if they're lying or not lying, et cetera. Different than if you do beautiful lips and cheeks and temples. So in my world, you would have a person whose sole core responsibility is that assessment, i.e. a qualify or an MP who's doing it as their full job, who's not an injector, and someone who is the injector. So I think at some point you have to bifurcate the role because you cannot be the expert in the room and also the expert test giver. It's just not reality. And so to your point, you will never be able to scale beyond that until you figure out how to get that done, whether it is using a service like Noah's or having someone, as we said, God forbid, who does assessments all day long, but that might be reality in a future state. So I think we are at a crossroads of having to figure out what that looks like here because it is not light medicine, but it's different medicine than critical care ICU. Mm -hmm. The patient's going to code, you know, if we get this wrong. A little different um, risk. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we have to figure out our values first. Decide how do you want to run your practice? What do you want to what do you want to spend your time doing? What are you passionate about? What's going to feel good for your patient? What experience do you want to give them? Do you want to be boutique? Are you based on relationships? And who do you want those relationships to be between? Or do you want to be a really high-functioning clinic? Maybe you live in a, in a metropolitan area where your patients want to come in and they want their Botox and they want out. And perhaps something like Qualify is going to really help move the meat because doing it internally with a medical director is probably going to be a little bit of a different slower model. Model, to be honest. I, in my perspective, I think that's true. But we have to decide our values, how we want to run business, how do you want to do your relationships, what risk are you comfortable with, and then you have to have all your policies be congruent with all, with all the whole thing. So uh, uh, just to touch on that, the point of qualify is not to be, um, it, the, the point of qualify is not necessarily to provide you with the GFEs. We, we do provide them. But we want, the goal of Qualify is to be essentially a mini medical director for the procedures that you offer, which means you're able to completely customize every single GFE that we offer. So if you have additional concerns or additional, or your medical director has additional protocols and levels of, of, of you know, thoroughness that you would like to go through, you can create a, a good faith exam that is up to the standards that you've set that and it will now become the standard for your practice. And your practice will be the only one that uses your specific uh, set of, uh, of, of questions for the procedures that you've selected. So we do offer um, you know, a standard set that we've worked extremely hard on, and we give it to as many people as we possibly can. And if that doesn't meet or you would like to add to it, we, we recommend it and we enjoy it and we want you to add to it because we want to be as comprehensive as possible. We want to be you when you're not there, you know, for the clearance. Well, if nothing else, getting the patient flagged and dismissed before they come into the practice. I love the fact you can do it before they come, they come in. Yeah. So if they don't qualify before they show up, you don't waste the, the hour. Right. So what's coming down the pipeline, though? What, what are the next things in legal land that we should be buckling up for? Because I feel like it's about to ha we're like on the precipice of some kind of big change happening in the industry. Well, Texas, you know, the proposed legislation right now is uh, there's, there's some significant proposed legislation. And not that that means anything. Things get shot down all the time. But they're talking about um, a real focus on medical directors and requirements and, I mean, you know, how many folks they can oversee. I mean, it's, it's really kind of a reckoning. Um, 
we're continuing at, you know, COVID brought on a lot of, a lot of expansion, right? That, I mean, folks could kind of do anything from anywhere. A lot of that is getting rolled back in, in most states. I'm up in Connecticut. Our firm is kind of across the country, but I sit in Connecticut and they kind of keep extending the COVID. Um, but a lot of states have not done that. So, you know, we are seeing a tightening of, of some of the regulations. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. I keep hearing folks say to like, why haven't they standardized? Like, why, you know, whoever they are, right? Like, why has the government standardized this? And maybe that day will come. Um, we're not there yet. So I would say, if you want to scale as a business owner, if you want to scale, services like this are probably going to be, you know, essential. Um, for folks who don't necessarily want to have practices all over, you know, you may not, you may not need that. But we, uh, we're constantly watching it. We're watching the regulations change all the time and, you know, trying to stay ahead of it. And you can call your state board. So they can also tell you some of the things that are coming down the pipe and show you some areas that might be pitfalls. In Washington State, there are certain procedures that they have identified that they want the provider, the medical director, to be in-house the first time. And the law actually calls out lasers for that. And then if there's a complication, says you have to be within 30 or 60 minutes, you know, it's 30 minutes. If it's an injectable type of complication, it's 60 minutes for lasers. One of them is in person. One of them is by phone. So calling your board, you can kind of ask some of these. If it's vague, um, sometimes it just takes a long time for the law to be updated, but they do know where they're going. That's like driving a clown car. You got to be in person or out of person. You got to be here. It, it is crazy. No chance I would ever get that right. Like, no chance. Well, as we wrap up here, we have about 90 seconds left, which is not much. Any last words or thoughts for our audience? Well, my hope is that we figure out something. For your practice, for your state, what's appropriate. If you're doing this in-house, awesome. Check all the boxes, do the things. If you don't know what you're doing, you should call Noah and use a third party and work well, together. No, call us if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> call yeah. Justin first and then call Noah. Yes, well, you're definitely going to need a legal team as well is the other thing that I've learned over the last year. Getting all of this ready and ready to scale our practice, you're going to need you're going to need legal counsel for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, um, I've said it over and over, but it's really the standard you want to hold your practice to, your goals. Are you trying to scale? If so, you know, you're probably going to need to engage some kind of services or you're going to need NPs all over the place. Um, you know, protect yourself. At the end of the day, we're, again, we're the lawyers, so protect yourself. But I'm also, I think our law firm is a little different. I've run organizations, so I know how to scale and what it takes, right? So it's just a fine balance between what you're comfortable with um, and what's going to allow you to grow. So, you know, we're constantly watching these regulations. I wish we had statements. Everything I say always starts with, well, it depends. Um, but we're going to constantly, you know, kind of monitor that. Yeah. And uh, I invite any of you um, to speak with me after or give me a call anytime to just maybe go through the, our GFEs, maybe work with us, uh, or just maybe just learn something and see if there's anything that you could add into your practice, uh, whether you work with Qualify or not. Um, we just want to make sure that your patients are safe, that we're all as educated as possible, and we can clear as many patients as safely and effectively as possible. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all for, our, for participating in our GFE panel, and thank, thank our panelists for exceptional information that we all need every day. So, yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. 
Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.